Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live the Sage Life podcast with your host, that's me, Lisa Van Hera. And today we're welcoming on this episode, Ryan Van Hera once again, and he's going to be sharing with us, of course, what he loves, some amazing dad jokes. And we're going to be talking about work, work-life balance, work-life integration, and how our over-attachment to work is something to be aware of and realize how to shift it. So let's go. All right. Well, here we go. Today, I have with me the most special guest. <laughs> My hubby, Ryan Van Hare, is here today to join us. Hello, hello. And hello. <laughs> We're... That was my deep, seductive voice to, to <laughs> engage everyone out there. That's the professional podcast voice. Well, today I have Ryan here with me, and we're going to be talking about a few different things. We're going to be talking about uh, attachment to work, what that looks like, and how we both experience that in our lives, and how we've shifted that and changed that. And I'm sorry, what was that noise there? Oh my goodness. So we're doing podcasts with hubby and coffee. <laughs> talk coffee talk with hubby today. And um that sound, you got to love that sound of slurping your coffee in the morning. The joys of being married, my favorite sound. <laughs> and um as you come in here and share with us today, I know you prepared some material. Hey, Lise. Yeah. When does a joke become a dad joke? I don't know. When it becomes apparent. <laughs> Amazing. So Ryan has some material to bring on here this morning because we do want to make it fun and lighthearted. And honestly, I think that's one of your hobbies is dad jokes. You love them. We laugh about them. And uh, some are pretty good. Some are awful. <laughs> <laughs> but some are pretty good. Every now and then you got to take the good with the bad, Lise. <laughs> value it all, right? That was That's uh, valuing all the jokes, not just overvaluing the good ones. So what else you got, babe? Mm, that's, a, that's a good one. Um, I mean, I know a lot of great good and good jokes about umbrellas, but they usually go over people's heads. <laughs> good with the bad you gotta take the good with the bad amazing what else you got all right let's see come on keep it rolling keep I'm it rolling. working on it i'm working on it oh do you know no i don't like that one oh here's one why do you never see elephants hiding in trees um, because they weigh a lot. Uh, no. Try again. Um, why do elephants not what? Why do you never see elephants hiding in trees? Because they can't camouflage. Because they're, they're so good at it. Because they're so good at it. That's why you never see them. Oh, my God. <laughs> quality babe quality <laughs> i like right. the parent one i'll save some for later okay next episode perfect <laughs> well i hope you enjoyed that that was that was amazing and we'll 
dive into our topic of today, which is all about work, 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 work. And <laughs> was that appropriate? Oh. I can always cut that out. Um, so today about work is how we have both experienced in our lives of really getting into work and feeling like we were doing the right thing, or this is what we should do, or this is, um, you know, what life is all about and how at different points in our lives, we both overworked so much and we're so hyper-focused on work that we lost sight of a lot of other stuff that was going on in our lives or really using it as an escape to some degree. Maybe that's not all of it. It was for financial, uh, you know, means and taking care of the family and, and growing in that. And then there, there is a point where it becomes so consuming that we kind of lose sight of some of the underlying stuff, or it becomes a way to avoid some of the underlying stuff. Well, I think, I think for me, it was a, a justifiable reason um, that I knew that my role and that was my identity was to work and provide. And that was, that was it. Um, I think the hard challenge to that looking back is, you know, there's a lot of years and, and times and vacations and things like that, that I didn't go on that you and the kids went on and I was okay with it at the time. And looking back at it, it's kind of like, wow, I missed out on that whole part of it. Um, but then again, that's how I was told. That's how I was taught is like, you work your ass off and you make your money and the family survives. And, you know, your kids will eventually appreciate the hard work that you did to allow them to do what it is they're doing currently. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's the big one for me and like that's the position that I took so I, I think this is going to lead into role role changes and role reversals and um even you know um the masculine and feminine perspectives of things just solely for the fact that you know as as a as a male being a provider you know it, it's always been my assumption or my thought that that's what the husband or the father, or, you know, that's what they do. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, when we first talked about bringing this topic up, I didn't start deep diving into thought about it. And now that we're talking, <laughs> you're like, awesome. Oh, oh, awesome. This is amazing. <laughs> well, and I think that's amazing to acknowledge, but it's also what has been what was adopted for so long we've definitely seen it change you know in our lifetimes of like more people looking at it differently and even um you even took time off when drake was born to be home which was that i mean that's considered paternity leave now i don't even know if it was called that then but i think it was just like a leave and that was not very common to do at that time it's it's gotten to be a little bit more um known i don't know if the word accepted would be part of that, but um, we would have these conversations and have there been times that you could view it as you missed out? Absolutely. And then that's also bringing perspective to, well, how do we live our life now and how do we shift some of that, which has been totally different than it was 
15 years ago. Yeah. Um, like it's interesting that you mentioned Drake being born. Um, you know, yeah, I took the time off. However, with Jade, it was back to work. Like, you know, I, I don't even know. I, I can barely, rem I hate to say it, but barely remember that day because it was just a whirlwind of everything. And I know I probably wasn't there when I should have been. And, you know, I left sooner than I probably should have been as well. Um, so it was a, a different time. And, it, and it's interesting looking at the stages of, of our relationship and things like that. It is. And um, our two kids, we had nine years apart. So there was quite a big um, age gap in between them. And so we were going through completely different things in our lives at completely different points in our lives. So, of course, understandably, things would be done very different. And I think that, though, that's where coming around with the second time and having Drake, it was approached differently. It was looked at differently around work specifically and like how to, you know, be a family unit during that time. Um, but things have changed so much. You went into the role reversals like we have for the many years we've been together, we have both done role reversals throughout our relationship over and over again. And it's not been easy. You know, the, the phrase that keeps coming up the last few days is it's simple, not easy. And, you know, the perspective of it or the practice of it, but there's really a lot that goes into working through that and adjusting and that was with work, too. It went from you were the primary breadwinner, the one that was working the most. And so you worked and then I was managing kind of everything else or the kids or the house. And um, I was still working as well, just not um, at the income level you were at that time. Yeah, I, I think the, the balance of time is is. And I and I use the word justifiable. Um because at that time in my, in our lives and relationships, and it, it was justifiable to be in that position and have that role. And it was not necessarily, I'm not even going to say it was appreciated, but I'm going to say it was accepted. Um, we both accepted, okay, this is the way that it was going to be um, because it's what was working. Um, it wasn't working on all levels but it worked on the levels in which we found importance at that time. Absolutely. It was what we were placing the most value in at that time and our beliefs and our um, ideas of what life should be like. Right. So well, I think also in our upbringing. I yeah. Think. Right. Which was adopted from yeah. our upbringing of what we thought was the right thing to do or what we should be doing. So we were in acceptance and then at points though, it started being like, well, is this really working? You know, is this really what we want? And, um, you know, when work comes into play, like those times that whether you weren't on vacations or whatever it was, or at kids games and stuff like that, um, you know, working as with anything can be a place to kind of like escape some of the stuff we don't want to deal with or avoid some of the emotions that we don't want to deal with. It can be just as, um, as much as an overattachment as it can be like being on social media too much, being, um, 
overly consumed with exercise or alcohol or whatever it may be. The point I'm bringing up is like, we just don't realize, and we weren't conscious at that time of like everything that we were doing because we had aligned with our minds and thoughts of like, well, we were doing what we're supposed to do. So we weren't really aware of some of the the things that weren't working, weren't working because of our beliefs and our, where we were placing our values and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It was definitely just kind of a, I don't want to call it a blind faith, but uh, just a, a blind direction of, all right, I was pointed in this direction and that's all I'm going to look at. And that's all I'm going to go towards anything in the peripheral. I'm just going to ignore and move forward to the, to the path that was just put in my face. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking back at that, you know, I, I, I think about, you know, where it was like, oh, I don't want to do this because I need to work. And it was never, I want to work. It was always, I need to work. Um, you know, so for Jade's base softball games or, you know, swim practices or swim meets or, you know, whatever it was, there were a lot of times I wasn't able to go because I needed to work. Um, but that's where that justifiable aspect comes from is like, it was justified to work instead of spend time with her. Mm-hmm. Um, justifying as a keyword there. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's my own self rationale mm-hmm. to make it okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas now with Drake, you know, I'm like, well, I need to be there for Drake. So it's, it's, it's almost like the role reversal in the parenting part of it now, where it's, you know, I view it as I need to be there for Drake and his practices and, and, you know, his games and everything else. And now work is kind of like the pendulum swung (laughs) the other way. You know, (laughs) I don't really need to be at work right now. Um, so, and that's amazing you share that because it, If you're hearing this, you're like, it really is all about balance and it really is learning, not judging yourself that I'm doing too much work or not enough work. It's like, where am I finding the balance in the work that I feel called to do that I'm accepting of doing that is on the path for me to do? And I just wanted to share this one segment in, um, this is Gary Zukoff's book, The Heart of the Soul. And it's like literally what you just said. So um, I just happened to glance down at this while we were discussing. And it talks about work as workaholism is the exploitation of people and circumstances in order to avoid pain. It is a narrow focus that precludes a larger landscape. It is the equivalent of putting on blinders so that all you see is the project or need in front of you. Your world becomes very small You do not see others or what they are feeling except when they affect what you are doing. So it goes on from there. But I was like, that's literally what you said about putting on the blinders and, you know, just doing that. So I'm a a genius. You can tell me that. (laughs) You quoted Gary without even uh, knowing, without even knowing it. Um, So I bring this book up because he talks in the specific book a lot about perfectionism and, um, you know, a lot of these things that you and I have both experienced, we both work through in our own different ways and the over-attachment to work, you can call it workaholism, but I mean, if you want to just say it's just an over-attachment to work, then 
you experienced that in cars. I've experienced that in real estate where I did the same thing as saying there. I put on the blinders and that was like my only focus. And of course, was I a mom and doing other things during that time, of course, but it was very limited sight or vision about everything that was going on around me. Yeah. And I, and I think if, if we're talking about, I mean, we don't really have to talk about work specifically. Um, I think there, it relates to like everything. I yeah. think it relates to everything mainly because if, if you look at it and like, I was just thinking about this is if you look at it from an extremism perspective that you're totally devoted in one fashion or, you know, to this or, or to that, the bigger part to that is, and, and I'll equate this to gambling, is if you went gambling for the first time and you didn't win and you spent $100, you'd probably never gamble again or a very, very limited capacity because you've experienced what it's like to not win mm-hmm. first. If you go to the same place and you take that same $100 and you win, and let's say you win $500, your experience and your emotional attachment to that are completely different from that moment on Mm -hmm. where the possibility is now something you can envision every single time. Um, And I I say that mainly because anytime we strive for almost anything, I would say it's always for the validation of what it is we're doing. So whether it's, you know, we're going to work, work our asses off and, I'm going to make a lot of money. It's the validation of making money. If it's um, you work for, you know, some major corporation and you have a presentation and in order to get the big deal, your presentation has to go perfect. We do everything we possibly can to make sure that that presentation is perfect. And when they say, great, we're going to work with you, there's your validation. And so you start accepting the validation as the reason, not because you want to, but it's the addiction to that validation. Yeah, I think that's a great, great point and a great metaphor um, to put it into perspective, because it is that it's the attachment to, like you said, the validation and getting the deal or the validation and being recognized. I mean, even there's so many things that could go into, but also um, that attachment to money that comes with that, right? So it was like at different points, you might get a raise or you might get a big deal or like whatever. And like the the attachment comes to the thrill or the validation, like you said, of getting that paycheck or getting that. um... Yeah. Cause we all, we all, we all want to feel like we're being recognized Mm -hmm. and that we're special. That's the ego, Mm -hmm. like, right. Really in that control of like, I'm special and I'm separate from everybody else. And however, like if you take the emotional part out of it, like if you take the emotional part out of it, I feel like there's quality lost, though, in the work that's performed because you don't have that emotional attachment and that excitement to get it right or to do it. So like you could probably do the same work and have the same result. But if you're not feeling like you're appreciated because of it, you tend to just end up sulking or like pulling back and attachment and tied to the expectation of the outcome right of like you're wanting to be validated for this work and be recognized so you're pouring this extensive effort 
work, um, perfectionism, uh, all this time and energy into it for that. Now, if you're if you're doing that just because you feel good about it, you're excited about it, like you can hear the change in my voice, too, of like, oh, my gosh, it's just something I'm really excited to do. I have no attachment to the outcome. I have no attachment. And honestly, saying that, like, that's how I feel about doing this podcast. It's something I just enjoy doing and I want to do. I don't have like an attachment to an outcome behind it. That's just an example. Is that why I sound like this? No, yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but just to give the listeners like an idea of what that looks like, um, if there really is, that can be even like a hobby you're doing that you get excited about doing it for pure enjoyment. There's nothing that you're expecting or wanting from somebody out of it. It's just for your fulfillment, for your connection, for your, um, experience. And, and I do believe you can definitely experience that in work. It's just, we're moving through this. Like you even said that identity of how much you were attached to that identity of like, I am the primary breadwinner. I am the man that takes care of the family. I am, um, all those things. The, this is what I'm supposed to do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I became dependent upon that role, um, because there was recognition in it. Um, so, and I think you could actually work it backwards if you ever wanted to, where we look at celebrities and, you know, we're like, wow, they're such good, you know, actors or whatever, not all of them, but you know, a good chunk of them. And we say they make millions of dollars and they've got everything. And, you know, we assume that they have no problems until they end up in the tabloids for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, but if you work it backwards, go from their current success and go backwards. Well, where did that success come from? And then, you know, it's almost an exponential thing, like a reverse pyramid or, mm -hmm. you know, where they're at the, the, the pinnacle now. But if you look at the base and the, and the plat platform in which they had to build from, mm -hmm. whether it was their schooling, whether the it was their of... environment or the people that they were around, the people that they knew, the people that they didn't know, um, oh, and all the work that they had to put into it. That's why um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill is such a fantastic book because it really goes into that of like taking so many examples of so many people that have, that did become, excuse me, successful in their time and, you know, really came from nothing. And so it was like, well, what did they do? Which is so much of it is around just the consciousness and shifting those thoughts, realizing you're not the thoughts that you are really creating your reality and you have the power to do that in very simplistic form, <laughs> simplistic explanation. So I think, though, that is with with having some of those challenges we had in our lives and, and our careers and our work, we we're learning that like we learned that if we said we wanted to make a certain amount of money, if we put our intention towards that, it did happen. Like at certain points we were um, living the dream we had dreamt to some extent, you know, maybe not every single aspect of the life, but at certain points along the way, we were living the life we had once dreamed of. So that's why it's so powerful to consciously choose and create some of that together. Like you would even, an example would be like back in the day of, you know, when you were selling cars and you're like, well, I need to sell so many cars a month. And like, the more you said that, and the more like kind of intention you put behind that, of course it would happen now. And that just, you know, I think we saw that over and over again, that that was the case. 
Yeah, I think I think once it, it it's interesting because although our roles were independent of each other, I think once we both were on the same page is when we were able to really start absolutely making adjustments and changes because we both aligned with what we wanted to do. Um, yeah, because you're more in this. That's such a good point because. Whether you're in a relationship or not, like a romantic relationship, you're in relationship with people all the time. So like if you have partners in business or work or whatever, the more you're on the same page, the more you're putting your energy right into whatever you're trying to create, it's going to be more powerful. It's going to be more aligned and effortless. That doesn't mean there's no effort. It means it can happen easier than you both trying to go totally different directions. Yeah, I think there's definitely more clarity. I, I think once you have the clarity and and the goal becomes more clear, uh, you can both work towards that. Yeah, that's goal. the three eyes. What were we talking about the other day? Um, the three eyes of. I don't know. I probably tuned you out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love you. <laughs> no, it was intention. Um, Insight, insight, intention, integration, insight, intention, integration. So that can even be used whether you're in business in a relationship, whatever, like just putting those three things into um, the same page together, right? Being on the same page and the clarity, like you were saying. I just wanted to share one other little excerpt from this book by Gary Zukoff, Seed of the Soul. And it's a fantastic book. Um, but this section here is, again, is, he's referring specifically in this section to work. So it's the equivalent of burying yourself in the hold of a ship, working on a trivial activity in the dark when you are the captain. The ship is your life and your place is on the bridge. When the captain is sweeping a remote corner below decks, her ship is bound to strike icebergs. When you indulge in excessive work, you put strangers in charge of your life while you focus your attention on insignificant projects. Um, It goes on to say, even if your project is to create an empire, it is insignificant compared to the creation of a meaningful, aware, compassionate, and fulfilling journey through Earth School. That's what he refers to life here on earth is earth school and that we're all in this earth school to learn and grow. But I just, that resonated with me the first time I read it because we get caught up in these projects sometimes and that's okay. Like there's, it's okay to spend time and energy in a project. And the point of it is though, to just not to lose yourself in it and not to lose sight in it and not be, um, kind of avoiding or neglecting these relationships that are really like what life is all about. Does that resonate with you? How yeah. Do you feel about that? No, it, it does. And it, I, I started smirking a little bit because when you were saying lose yourself, like all of a sudden I started thinking of the Eminem song, <laughs> you know, lose yourself in the moment you own it, you know, and it, it's funny because if you actually listen to the lyrics of like that, it's a that hook line song, it's, it's exactly what we're talking about. And yes, I'm a hip hop fan, rap fan. So <laughs> for those of you that didn't know that, um, not just Eminem, but uh, 
Next episode, we can rap for us, babe. <laughs> um, dad jokes and rap. Dad, dad jokes and rap. <laughs> Wrapping up dad jokes. Um, but but that's really it. Is you know you when you open yourself up to the moments and opportunities that are there in front of you, it, it's a lot easier to you can actually pick and choose which ones at that point. If you're if you're not open to having those moments be there to begin with, you'll never be able to open up any doors just because you'll never see the doors there. Yeah. Um, that's so good. So it, it, it's a tough thing because, you know, you want to stay on the path that you're on and you don't want to get distracted by maybe that door that's there that could take you, you know, on a zigzag pattern to the same destination, but you might experience a lot of different things along that zigzag. Um, you know, and I think we were even talking about this the other day, how there's multiple ways to achieve the same thing. Absolutely. Um, and it just depends on which path you want to go. Some will take a little bit longer. Some are a little bit shorter. Some are more direct. Some will take you backwards. None of them are linear, though. Yeah. There's like no linear growth because it's not this just perfect straight path. You're going to have detours and all that kind of stuff. How do you feel about that? <laughs> if you could see his face. <laughs> it's the detours that get difficult because if, if it's a detour that says go back three miles and then take that exit, that's, that's the tough ones. Um, because you feel like you're doing all the right things to keep moving forward. And then there's a roadblock ahead, whether it's, you know, um, a landslide covers the road or, you know, there's wildfires or whatever it is. And you have to go back. You can't continue going forward because something you, you might put yourself in harm's way at that point. And it's just a way of the earth school, however you want to frame it, is telling you you've gone as far as you can along this path, go back and correct and, yeah, and that... continue. That can sometimes be the case in it. It can feel like you're going backwards, yet most of the time it's just like an adjustment in the path or it's an extra block in the foundation that you're building. Like it may feel like going backwards, yet then as you go down the road and you look back, you're like, okay, I really didn't go backwards. It was an adjustment or adding to that foundation to be able to continue to build upon that. This has got to be one of the biggest buildings ever built then if we're still putting blocks <laughs> in at the foundation. Yeah, check in on three years, <laughs> yeah. like three years down the road from like, that, and we'll listen back is, to this This is podcast. a huge building, people. <laughs> like, the Great Wall of China has nothing on this, apparently, so. Oh, my gosh. Well, and I think what, just to add on to what you said in there is, like, you, you said, I think, you know, you think you're making the right decisions, and that's where we get caught up in these decisions and they have to be right and I'm making the right ones and it's like we act we absolutely want to connect with what decision we want to make I'm not just saying to make the rash decision and don't even think about it especially if it's a a larger um see I'm in the opposite spectrum of that I would say if, if you're going to make a decision and 
you're torn between one, just pick it and go. Like, well, I agree with that. I'm just saying, well, there's a time to agree with that. There's a time maybe there's more people that you have to include in and like consider in the situation or whatever. But I, I 100% agree with you because obviously I've done that over the years of making a, a, a quick decision because I knew it, like I, I felt it or I connected with it. Um, what I was just saying is getting caught up in, am I making the right decision? It's like, what you just just said is if you make the decision, that's like half the battle. If you're not making a decision, you're still making a decision not to make a decision. Yeah. Then (laughs) then you're just going back to, you know, not being attached to the outcome. Exactly. That's, that's really what that set the intention with it. And then like you, you kind of release from it though, that you're not, like desperately clinging on to this is how it has to happen. It's really interesting when you think about chess players and this is, this is exactly this is what popped into my head. So, yeah. Um, so chess players are attached to the outcome. When you think about it, when they make a move, they're trying to calculate multiple moves ahead. Okay. So it's amazing and ironic that they're actually able to make a choice. Because they're always predicting the outcome of future moves. That's true. Hmm. We'll have to go deeper into that. Do you know any chess players, babe? <laughs> Deep thoughts with Ryan. <laughs> but are they attached to the outcome? Because obviously they have to make adjustments along the way of their play. And sometimes they win, sometimes they don't. And they know that. Obviously they're trying to use their skill and what they've learned to work through it yeah and i advantage i don't know a lick about chess like i just you just thought of that as i just i just thought of it as you know it it, it's just kind of an interesting dynamic when you think about it yeah um i'm sure there's a lot more to that process of thought um and like you said they have to make adjustments and actually you know what that oh go ahead but when they go on the attack with their pieces and then when they have to retreat based upon the moves that somebody else did it's the same thing as what we're talking about where we're attacking that path that we're on, but then at times wildfires, landslides, floods, whatever, are going to make us retreat back to where then we have to create new moves to get to the positions that we want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. That reminds me of Annie Duke, um, the poker player that she's written a few books and one of them is called Quit. So she even talks kind of like this concept where, you know, she's not talking about just quitting overall, but and she is you know it it's interesting that in the book but it's about kind of like what you're saying is you're taking a step back saying okay this is not working taking a step back and kind of realigning and then moving forward so um she has great points in that book uh i just hope today that you're getting that work is a big part of our lives we can say it's work career um but it is our lives. It's not separate from our lives. And I think that's where, you know, we hear this term work-life balance, where there's no work-life balance. It's more like an integration and realizing that it's all connected and it's all affecting everything. It affects our emotional state, our mental state, our relationships with our families, our relationships at work. And how can we see it um, differently bringing the connection and integration into it of like, well, I'm not just utilizing this to avoid parts of my life that I don't want to deal with. I'm avoiding anger. I'm avoiding emotional stuff that I need to work through. How can I see this um, 
in a different way as the consciousness has shifted, as uh, things have changed so much over the last even 20 years when, because 20 years ago is really when we were more pursuing, well, what's our career and stuff like that ish. I, I, well, I was going to say like 20 years ago, we, looking back, I would say that we felt like there was less responsibility that we had to really truly take care of. Like we, we were a little bit more whimsical. So like if, and we were in a position that we were young enough to maybe not have some of those influences that we currently have where, you know, there's no, there's fears of certain things um, where before maybe it would have been, well, if that happens, no big deal. We'll just figure it out and move on. Um, and I think over time with age, yeah, I think over time though, we built up those perceptions. It's not even realities. It's just the perceptions because we've heard so many other people in specific situations that it's now influenced our own choices. That's where we go through different phases in our life anyway. And, you know, especially in your twenties, you're going through some kind of phase thirties, forties, It's not generalizing because everybody is different. And you definitely see that with the younger generations that they're, um, it's just all changing so much so fast with technology, with accessibility to information, with um, dynamic shifting like that. But without going too much into that, we go, we go through different phases in our life. And maybe some of us will go through that in our thirties. Some will go through it in their forties. It just varies a little bit on, but what you said so particularly was you said it's not reality and that's what's happening is you're breaking these illusions over and over again of what you thought was real or so important or you're it's breaking these attachments over and over again to stuff that you realize wasn't necessarily the case or isn't really serving you now at this time yeah what what you found important then may not be important now or what's important now may not be important five years from now mm-hmm. um again it's just that um gas station on the road of life you know like it's like you pull over you get your little fill up of snacks or whatever and you keep moving mm-hmm. so i am full of analogies today like this is kind <laughs> of it's weird i don't know where it's coming from you refuel and yeah, then you, you refuel and you move on <laughs> all right well closing closing uh what do you got for us all right so let's see so the bank keeps calling me to give me compliments sweet they say i have an outstanding balance (laughs) (laughs) well there we go that wraps it up for today and thank you so much ryan for joining us on this episode as always it's great to hear your insight and of course the dad jokes So for more information on SAGE, please visit www.livethesagelife.com for more information on events and coaching workshops and other great useful information in there. So check it out, www.livethesagelife.com. As always, thank you for listening and please share this podcast with other friends, family, coworkers that you think might benefit from hearing this podcast. Thank you for listening.